Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 275 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about bubbles, and specifically, is the stock market in a bubble? A lot of people are speculating right now that the stock market is in a bubble. And then some people like Kathy Wood, and some of you may know who Kathy Wood is, some of you may not. Uh, we'll talk about who she is today. Uh, but Kathy Wood coming out uh, yesterday and saying that the stock market is not in a bubble, it's nowhere near a bubble, and we know that she's a very bullish individual. And so I'm really interested in understanding exactly how bubbles form, how bubbles pop, uh, and exactly how we can identify whether or not we're in a bubble in the first place. And if we are, what should we do about it? So stick around for all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and then ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So I have talked about stock market bubbles before. So this is not necessarily a new topic, right? But I think it's very relevant given the, the recent news and the recent talk in the markets. Uh, the recent talk has been uh, Kathy Wood coming out yesterday in an interview uh, and defending her particular investing style, right? She is very focused on innovation and high growth, right? She uh, is not so worried about profitability really at all. She's just worried about, uh, is it innovative? Is it going to change the world? Let's invest in it, okay? And this type of investing uh, has made a lot of individuals a lot of money over time, right? Uh, but it's also lost a lot of money if you go back to, uh, let's say, the tech bubble of uh, the late 90s and early 2000s. Everybody thought that you know if you had .com at the end of uh, your company's name, then you were going to be the next big thing. And just buying based on the prospects of future innovation uh, really got a lot of people down on their investments, okay? Uh, but would who really made a lot of good returns for her investors last year uh, via her ARK Innovation Fund, right? Uh, she defended her innovative focus, right? Uh, she said that, I don't think we are in a bubble, which is what I think many bears think we are. And bears, obviously, and we've talked about bear markets before, bears in the market are just individuals who are negative. They're negative about what's going to happen in the stock market, okay? And she said, bears may think we are uh, in a market bubble. In a bubble, and I remember the late 90s, she said, our strategies would have been cheered on. You remember the leapfrogging of analysts making estimates one higher than the other, price targets one higher than the other. We have nothing like that right now. In fact, you see a lot of IPOs or SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies, which has been uh, quite the craze over the past year and a half or two, right, coming out and falling to earth. We couldn't be further away from a bubble. Okay, so this is very, very interesting. It's interesting that, uh, you know, she's making this case against the market being in a bubble when naturally her stocks would benefit 
from the market uh, being bubblish, right? Uh, it would benefit from individuals being uh, very positive about the market. They would benefit from individuals wanting to buy those innovative things. And uh, those innovative things tend to be bought leading up to a bubble. So of course, Kathy Wood would never want to admit that we're in a bubble because the moment that she did, every uh, you know ETF that she runs would not go into the ground, but they would fall very markedly, okay? So this is no surprise that somebody like her would make this case. But then it made me think, what is the real case then, right? Should we be making the case for the market being in the bubble, for it being closed, for it being nowhere close? Like, what should we think about markets right now? So there, there's something else that we need to talk about, though, with Kathy Wood that I think is very, very interesting. Michael Burry, who some of you may know who Michael Burry is, some of you may not, right? Michael Burry bet against Wood's ARK Innovation ETF using options. And Burry is uh, the individual, if you've ever watched the movie The Big Short, Right, he is portrayed by Christian Bale and made a ton of money during the financial crisis by uh, basically shorting housing bonds. Right, uh, and he bought recently 2,355 put contracts, and so put contracts they make money when the price of something goes down against the red hot tech ETF, the Ark Innovation ETF, during the second quarter and held them through the end of the period. Burry was one of the first investors to call and profit from the subprime mortgage crisis, like I just said a moment ago. Okay, other hedge funds have also placed bets and short bets against the firm's ETFs, uh, but this is what Kathy Wood added to her interview yesterday. She said, "When I see such negative sentiment out there." There, especially when it comes to valuation and longer time horizons, investment time horizons, I actually feel a little more comfortable. I like bad news. The discounting is worse now than the news actually will be. I actually feel better in that environment for our strategies. Now, this makes a bit of sense, right? It makes a bit of sense why she would feel a little more comfortable because uh, if the particular companies that she would be purchasing, if they have fallen off of their highs and they're out of favor, that would give her uh, you know, the chance that would give her the opportunity uh, to buy more and buy more at cheaper prices, which obviously is advantageous to her and her fund. Okay. Now she said that much of the bearishness on her funds is focused around inflation and interest rates going higher, which this is very true, right? Because a lot of the companies that she invests in are small companies that are relying on the ability to raise outside capital, right? So as interest rates rise, this is going to have more of a market effect uh, on these particular types of companies that will need to raise money as time goes on because it will be more costly to raise money. Uh, and as inflation goes higher, then so will the inputs to production for some of these companies. However, Wood's macro thesis focuses on deflation from innovation and not inflation. The innovation around which we have centered our research, she says, these five platforms, DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology are barely off the ground. So she's saying that what they're investing in really hasn't even gotten started uh, as far as its ability to be valuable over a long period of time. Shares of her ARK Innovation Fund hit a bottom in May as investors rotated into value stocks in the first half of 2021 and out of tech shares. The ETF did in the second quarter up 9%, but that's still down 7% year to date. So enough talking about Kathy Wood and exactly what she invests in, but let's get back to the thought of a bubble. Okay. Uh, she's saying we're not in a bubble. She's saying that uh, her companies that she invests in uh, are going to do well over time. And maybe she's right, right? Maybe she's right that we're not. But then the question becomes, how do we know if we're in one or not? Right. So I thought I would go through the five stages of a bubble with you guys. And we'll just start off with, in the simplest sense, what a bubble is. OK, so a basic characteristic of financial bubbles is the suspension of disbelief by most participants when the speculative price surge is occurring. 
It's only in retrospect, after the bubble has burst, that they're recognized. So basically what we're saying here is that during a bubble, you forget that you don't believe in certain things. You forget uh, that certain things aren't a part of your investment thesis. And you just, uh, you know, you don't believe that the market can ever go down or that a sector or a, a particular company can ever go down. So the term bubble in an economic context generally refers to a situation where the price for something, an individual stock, financial asset, even an entire sector, market, or asset class, exceeds its fundamental value by a large margin. Because speculative demand rather than intrinsic worth fuels inflated prices. The bubble eventually but inevitably pops and massive sell-offs cause prices to decline, uh, often quite dramatically. In most cases, in fact, a speculative bubble is followed by a spectacular crash in securities in question. So uh, two examples of this, at least in my lifetime, would be the dot-com bubble, right? It's got bubble right there in the name. Uh, and then obviously uh, you have the housing bubble uh, and the housing market crash uh, of the late 2000s. So uh, we have seen bubbles come to be and come to pass over time. Uh, and those are large bubbles. Now, bubbles can get as inflated as you want to see them get inflated, uh, and you know particular stocks may be in bubblish territory uh, and get brought down quite quickly. Okay, but uh, when we talk about bubbles, typically we're talking about stock market-wide bubbles. Okay, so let's talk about types of asset bubbles. There is a stock market bubble which involves equities, shares of stocks that rise rapidly uh, in price, often out of proportion to the company's fundamental value. Uh, these bubbles can include the overall stock market, ETFs, or equities in a particular field or market sector, like internet-based businesses in the dot-com bubble. Okay, so that's what a stock market bubble would be, and that's what we're really going to focus on. Uh, but let's talk about some of the other types of bubbles. Bubbles. Then there are just market bubbles, which involve other industries or sections of the economy outside the equities market. Real estate is a classic example. We have seen a real estate bubble, again, uh, the housing bubble in the late 2000s. So we've seen this occur. Uh, then there are credit bubbles, which involve a sudden surge in consumer or business loans, debt instruments, and other forms of credit. Uh, specific types of assets include corporate bonds or government bonds like U.S. treasuries, student loans, or mortgages. Because some people argue that student loans are a bubble, right? That that has to come back down to earth uh, very quickly, which uh, just by the way, I'm going to do an episode on it soon. Uh, apparently, what has recently happened, this is just a quick aside, the education department uh, says that they will cancel student debt for more than 320,000 borrowers. And so I don't uh, necessarily know what the uh, particular details of this are, but I thought since I brought up student loans, I might as well uh, hit you with that little nugget. So uh, look into that and uh, I will talk about it very, very soon. Now, there are credit bubbles, then there are, lastly, commodity bubbles, which involve an increase in price of traded commodities, hard, that is tangible materials, and resources such as gold, oil, uh, industrial metals, or agricultural crops. Okay, So all of these have occurred in one time or another. Uh, now the question is, what are the different stages? How can we see a bubble coming? And then what do bubbles actually look like as they go through these different stages? So these five stages that I'm going to go through with you uh, were established by economist Hyman Minsky uh, in the book Stabilizing an Unstable Economy from 1986, and he identified five stages in a typical credit cycle, uh, one of several recurrent economic cycles. Okay, Now, these stages also outline the basic patterns of a bubble. Okay, so we will go through each of these stages, and I'll break down exactly what this is going to look like for each of us, and then we can go through and actually uh, determine are we currently in a bubble, uh, and then we can make the case as to whether or not we actually are. 
So the first stage is displacement. A displacement occurs when investors get enamored by a new paradigm, such as an innovative new technology or interest rates that are historically low. A classic example of displacement is the decline in the federal funds rate from 6.5% in July 2000 to 1.2% in June 2003. Over this three-year period, the interest rate on 30-year fixed-rate mortgages fell by 2.5 percentage points to a then-historic low of 5.23%, sowing the seeds of a subsequent housing bubble. Okay, so we see this new paradigm begin, this maybe new technology. So something that we may have recently seen uh, in this displacement stage uh, may have been something like blockchain technology, right? Very new, right? It's very um, you know, hot. It's something that people get enamored by uh, and then ultimately get enamored by cryptocurrency itself. Right. So uh, this type of displacement is not something that is new or different to us. We see this type of displacement all the time, but sometimes it's just not market wide. Now, market wide displacement is actually very, very difficult uh, to come across. Uh, you would have to see just widespread uh, buying of market assets. Something would have to get people's attention. Now, something that could be displacing individuals right now and uh, creating this displacement in the market is uh, the very, very low interest rates that we see. Uh, these very low interest rates have made it to where bonds are not uh, something that we're extremely interested in. If we're not interested in bonds uh, and we want to grow our money somehow, then where are we going to put our money? Well, we're going to put it into uh, alternative investments and stocks, right? Places that we think that as inflation increases, we can continue to make money. Uh, but this is a displacement. This displaces us from uh, the bond allocations that we may have had as a society previously. And now it's just pushing us into the equity markets over a long, long period of time. So, that is the first stage, displacement. Then there is boom. Prices rise slowly at first following a displacement, but then gain momentum as more and more participants enter the market, setting the stage for the boom phase. During this phase, the asset in question attracts widespread media coverage. Fear of missing out on what would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity spurs more speculation, drawing an increasing number of investors and traders into the fold. So we have definitely seen booms right? Uh, we've seen booms in things like cryptocurrency very, very recently, right? Uh, you've seen where a bunch of individuals jump into the market. They're afraid of missing out on potential returns, right? And so the price, it, it may start rising very slowly at first, and then it just, it explodes, right? It goes extremely high. And then uh, typically we will see the prices kind of come back down to earth, but uh, that is for later stages in uh, this particular cycle. But we have seen booms. We've seen booms in a bunch of individual stocks, uh, but we haven't seen so many booms in the stock market as a whole. Now, that said, something that we have seen is over the past year and a half or so, the stock market has doubled from its lows of the coronavirus pandemic. So uh, could you call that a boom? Very possibly, okay? Uh, so booms do occur, uh, but this is when it starts getting really, really interesting in this cycle. This particular stage is where you can start realizing that a bubble may be occurring, may be forming, right? But you have to meet some of these other stages before uh, the bubble actually is found out and then ultimately deflates. And so uh, there's the boom. Then the third stage is euphoria. Now, during this phase, caution is thrown to the wind. As asset prices skyrocket, valuations reach extreme levels during this phase as new valuation measures and metrics are touted to justify the relentless rise and the greater fool theory, the idea that no matter how prices go, uh, there will always be a market of buyers willing to pay more plays out there. Okay, so we have seen euphoria as well, right? 
how many people have you heard say before, uh, it doesn't matter what price you buy Bitcoin for, or it doesn't matter what price you buy Tesla stock for. It's only going to go up over time. It's only going to go up. You know, these prices, they're just uh, a fugazi, right? They're fake. There's nothing real about them. They, they, they will just continue to go up. There will always be more buyers. And sometimes permabulls, which is what we call individuals who always seem to be bullish on the market as a whole, can sound super euphoric, right? Kathy Wood can seem super euphoric at times because uh, even when prices of the companies that she owns that are just, you know, blowing up, she always has some reason to think that the prices will go higher and higher. She never comes out and says, uh, you know, we think there's going to be a little pullback in this particular stock. No, she's always saying, yeah, there's a higher price target, a better price target, because we think it's always going to go up and up and up and up and up. Okay. So they, that spreads this euphoric idea that prices are always going to go up. So for example, at the peak of the Japanese real estate bubble in 1989, prime office space in Tokyo sold for as much as 139 $9,000 per square foot. Similarly, at the height of the internet bubble in March of 2000, the combined value of all technology stocks in the NASDAQ was higher than the GDP of most nations. So we see some obvious euphoria there. Okay, so euphoria though is not where it ends. Okay, it does not end when people think prices are just going to continue to go up and up and up and up and up. Okay, we continue into the fourth stage. And again, there are five stages, but we get into this fourth stage, and this fourth stage is profit taking. Okay. Now in this phase, the smart money heeding the warning signs that the bubble is about to burst, uh, start selling positions and taking profits, but estimating the exact time when a bubble is due to collapse can be a difficult exercise because as John Maynard Keynes put it, the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Okay. So this is a, a very uh, famous quote. And it's something that I think we need to uh, really take heed to because a lot of individuals like Michael Burry who have a lot of money can make uh, some negative bets against the market as a whole or negative bets against particular companies. Okay, but a market can stay extremely irrational for a long period of time. And let's say that you short a stock that should be going down by all fundamental indications. Okay, but you short this stock and you're continuing to have to put money in to make sure that you can maintain your position, uh, then it can get very, very costly. And Michael Burry himself ran into this issue uh, during the housing crisis, during the financial crisis. He was having to pay premiums on these contracts that he uh, had basically created on his own and then had banks write for him, right? He was having to pay premiums on these contracts as the value of these uh, bonds and of the houses that underlied the bonds continued to go up and up even though they were really useless, right? They really had no value, okay? So the market was irrational almost longer than he could stay solvent, okay? But ultimately it did pay off. In August of 2007, French bank BNP Paribas halted withdrawals from three investment funds with substantial exposure to U.S. subprime mortgages because it could not value their holdings. While this development initially rattled financial markets, it was brushed aside over the next couple of months as global equity markets reached new highs. In retrospect, Paribas had the right idea, and this relatively minor event was indeed a warning sign of the turbulent times to come, okay? So they did take some profits, right? They did get out of this business. They did, uh, you know, come to a, a halt on these particular types of 
uh, you know, securities that uh, they were just like, hey, we're not really interested in this anymore because there's no way to value these holdings. And that's completely understandable. Okay, it's understandable to do this. And on a more granular level, what you see a lot of times is individuals take profits, right? And you see institutions take profits. And one could argue that we're in a profit-taking stage right now, or that we have been in a profit-taking stage uh, for a better part of this year. Because if you look at the market as a whole, and you just said, let's break it down uh, and just see what the market has done over the course of this year. Yes, the S&P 500 is up big, right? It's up over 15% this year, uh, pushing 20% this year. Uh, it has had a very, very good run. But since February, right, a vast majority of the S&P 500 stocks are down and down quite substantially. So is the Russell 2000. Uh, so is the NASDAQ 100. And this is if you just take away some of the largest companies in the world, right? And these companies have driven these indexes higher and higher, but that does not mean that profit taking is not occurring in some of these other companies, some of these companies uh, that may have gotten more inflated in price. And you can see a lot of them nowadays uh, that are high growth companies that have uh, blown up in price and you see that they are quite a bit off of their highs. Now, many may say this could be a, you know, a reason to buy and a place to buy. And as they continue to fall, you could uh, buy some. And, and that's not wrong because some of them may be good companies. Okay. But this is a result potentially of the profit taking stage of a bubble. Okay. Now that only leads us to the fifth stage and the fifth stage is the worst. Okay. The fifth stage is panic. It only takes a relatively minor event to prick a bubble, but once it's pricked, the bubble cannot inflate again. In the panic stage, asset prices reverse course and descend as rapidly as they ascended. Investors and speculators faced with margin claws and plunging values of their holdings now want to liquidate at any price. As supply overwhelms demand, asset prices slide sharply. One of the most vivid examples of global panic in financial markets occurred in October of 2008, weeks after Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy and Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and AIG almost collapsed. The S&P plunged almost 17% that month, its ninth worst monthly performance of all time. So this is nothing new. We have seen bubbles come about and pop before. But then the question becomes, are we in a bubble? So let me make the case for why we may currently be in a bubble. Okay, and uh, it may be because of just speculation. I've talked to you a lot about speculation over the course of the past year or so, but let's talk a little bit uh, about it here because speculation can lead to bubbles occurring, and that's really what happens when these prices continue to go up and up and up. So the S&P 500 has more than doubled off of its 2020 pandemic lows, and the S&P 500's valuation is looking extremely stretched based on a number of traditional stock market valuation metrics like the PE or price to sales or whatever else. Stansberry Research lead editor Dan Ferris recently discussed the extremes in investor sentiment in today's market and how he believes it's an obvious red flag and warning sign of a market bubble. So, Irrational Exuberance, right? This is a book that was written by uh, Robert Schiller, Nobel Prize winning economist, right? Very, very smart guy, wrote this book, Irrational Exuberance. And all that's going on with Irrational Exuberance is one of the textbook signs of a market bubble. And it's when stock market speculation extends beyond Wall Street and becomes commonplace among average Americans. And Dan Ferris said this is exactly what he's witnessed in the rise of mean stock speculation and the trends on social media uh, and the SPACs and the IPOs and all these different things, right? And uh, cryptocurrency. He said there's simply no way this is anything other than a bubble. Democratization of the market, speculation pervading society, or whatever else you want to call it, it's clear that the individual investors are wielding power that they haven't had since the height of the dot-com bubble. Again, 
this is not just uh, the individual investors that drive a market bubble, but uh, when you typically have a certain um, you know, cohort of investors in a market, and then ultimately you get a bunch more that uh, are far more fair weather, don't understand the market as well, don't really know what they own, or likely to jump out at the first sign of trouble, then you can end up with a bubble. And this is the argument that's being made. Ferris isn't alone in pointing out that the meme stock mania in GameStop, AMC, and other high-risk stocks is not a good sign of the health of the market. Back in January, Robert Schiller, the writer of uh, Irrational Exuberance, said that the attitude behind the Reddit-fueled Wall Street counterculture movement is similar to the attitude driving Trumpism in America. Now, this is not meant to be political, but this is what is going on. He said there's a pass-it-on mentality, a sense that those experts are just self-important. They don't know anything. I can imagine the story being contagious at this time in history. It's going to be extra humiliating when the bubble pops. Now, for some historical perspective, of course, up to this point, the meme stock traders have had the last laugh, and Ferris admits he's felt like a fool for pointing out the absurdity of investing in AMC and GameStop as they continue to go up. With the S&P 500, though, priced at about three times sales, or about 30% higher than its dot-com bubble peak, Ferris said that he will continue to be bearish on the S&P 500 in the longer term until the market corrects by at least 30%. So this is a very, very bearish take, right? This is a, a reason that he says we may be uh, leading to a bubble popping, right? Uh, but I don't want you to think so negatively about the market, okay? It's okay if bubbles happen and bubbles come and bubbles pop and bubbles go because ultimately we are long-term investors. If a bubble pops, that gives us the ability to buy at lower prices, right? And likely it gives us the ability to buy really, really good companies or just index funds, right? At really, really low prices. And that's a very, very good thing. Now, a reason that we may not be at this point uh, where a bubble is occurring around us is the fact uh, that most of the stock market is not driving upward over the course of this year, right? You've seen some of the biggest stocks really uh, concentrate in these large indexes like the S&P 500 and really take off, right? Also, you have to take into account the fact that the Federal Reserve is doing so much stimulus. They are uh, keeping interest rates extremely low. They're continuing to push money into the market in the form of uh, buying bonds, in the form of quantitative easing. Now, they say that they're going to uh, taper, but uh, nonetheless, that money is still continuing to flow in and stimulate the economy. Okay, So if this is occurring, uh, then that is going to continue to prop up asset prices. Uh, and as long as uh, the Delta variant or you know any COVID-19 type related news doesn't get too crazy, uh, the market being as high as it is may be warranted for now. And we've also seen a lot of companies uh, that they you know, had really blowout quarters. They uh, beat earnings. They beat revenue. They did all the right things, right? They had really great quarters, and yet they were down. Or, and yet they weren't uh, up any substantial amount. And so what may be happening is not necessarily us, you know, feeding up to this bubble. It may be the fact that, you know, maybe we're a little overpriced, Right, a little overextended based on all the stimulus, based on uh, you know the valuations that we've put on things in the market, and maybe multiples are just contracting, meaning uh, that maybe uh, stock prices are not going to continue higher at the rate that they have, right? But you're going to see earnings continue to be what they've been, right? Because they have been extremely strong. The fundamentals underneath the market have been extremely strong. And let me tell you this: even if they are not, even if the stock market crashes, even if uh, we see a bubble pop. Guess what? I'm going to be the first person in line 
ready to buy, and you should be too, because we are long-term investors. Find things that you like that may be currently overpriced, and then if they fall below a certain price that gives you a, a margin of safety where you think you can make really good returns, then buy those things at those points. And bubbles can be really, really good times to do this. Now, I don't think you should go out and liquidate all your holdings. I don't think that you should have way too much cash on the sidelines because we've talked about very recently uh, that trying to time the market or wait for the perfect time uh, is just not going to be beneficial to you over the long term. Ultimately, getting in the market, getting invested and staying invested is what is going to be most beneficial to you. Now, having some extra savings set aside uh, that you may be willing to put in the market if the market is willing to uh, you know, give you the opportunity and a bubble pop or it drop by you know, 20, 30 percent, then by all means, put that money to work. But don't just be sitting in cash because you think the bubble is going to pop because uh, the long term investors who could talk to you about that will tell you uh, that. Every time you think that a bubble's gonna pop, the bubble doesn't pop and it just continues upward and upward and upward and you're missing out on returns. And that's not what we want. We don't wanna be missing out on returns. We wanna be taking advantage of what the market gives us, okay? So don't be extremely stressed about a bubble. Don't sit around and worry about bubbles. Understand what they are. Understand what they look like. Understand when you may have the opportunity to go in and buy more. But don't just be a perma bear. Don't be somebody who's going to uh, sit aside and be uh, so, so bearish about the market. Be relatively bullish, but be realistic and understand how the market works. And you will be better off for it. And then you can buy things cheap and you can be a smart, intelligent investor over the long term. And hopefully that's something that I'm helping you do day by day. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and then ultimately pushing towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who is watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in Monday as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.